AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, we're here for another podcast, AA Beyond Belief. This is John, and I have a guest today. His name is Chad H., and he is from Chandler, Arizona, or at least he lives there now. And he uh, sent me a message on Facebook uh, and told me a little bit about his story, and it sounded real similar to mine. So I thought, well, you know, it's been a while since we've had someone share their personal story. So I thought, come on on the podcast and let's talk about it. How you doing, Chad? I'm doing well. Well, good to be, good to have good to, that you have me on here today. Looking well, forward to this. And this is like my favorite thing in the world to do. If I could do this for a living, I would. Just to kick back, have a cup of coffee, talk to somebody in AA, somebody who pretty much agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's always a bonus, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, occasionally I'll have someone who doesn't agree, like uh, or I don't agree with, but. I don't make a big thing out of it. It's that, um, have you ever heard any of the episodes I've had with John H from DC? So is that the one, so I was re- I was listening to one recently. I can't remember his name. Is that the one you guys were talking about deprogramming? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, okay. that was actually an yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. conversation. Now I don't agree yeah, with him no. on it. I don't agree with him on everything, but you know, that's cool. That's cool. He's a nice guy. I like having him on. He's a very interesting guest. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. If you don't mind, let's, uh, you just go into your story and let a conversation flow from that. It's the floor. Is no, yours. that sounds good. So, I mean, you know, really uh, for me, um, you know, like a lot of people, you know, uh, I guess you could start with my sort of family history. You know, it's all over my family. Um, you know, I had a, you know, grandfather die from it in his forties, um, you know, cousins, both my parents are, are alcoholics. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, I believe that it's, it's a genetic thing in my brain and it, and I, I got it, you know, but grew up in a, in a fairly normal home. I mean, the one thing about both of my parents being alcoholics is that um, they were actually, they were sober and they were going to meetings. So I knew about a pretty young, you know, I, I'd, I'd go to the meetings once in a while with them. And I, when I was a young kid, I didn't really understand it. I just knew that we'd go to these smoke filled rooms and eat sugar cubes in the back of the room, but I didn't really know what it was, but you know, as far as growing up in the household, I mean, no, no, nothing crazy. I mean, we always had what we needed. You know, we were kind of a lower middle income family, but uh, everything was good. Felt, felt loved, felt, you know, nothing crazy. Uh, one thing, I was always kind of a nervous, kind of a worrier type kid, high anxiety, I guess you could say, um, coupled along the line too with uh, perfectionist. You know, I was always kind of one of those kids that, you know, if I wasn't the best or the first right away, I would be like, screw it. You know, I don't want nothing to do with it. But um, again, nothing, nothing crazy in the household. But, uh, you know, when I was 17 years old, which can be, I guess that's kind of late for some people, but uh, I got drunk for the first time. You know, up to that point, I hadn't really had any opportunities to, to drink alcohol or be around it. Um, and I remember, um, I remember it like it was yesterday because it had such a profound effect on me. Um, when I was new in AA, there used to be a gentleman that I always, I kind of stole it from, but he always used to talk about, um, you know, the first time that he had, you know, he loved, he loved pepperoni pizza, but he couldn't remember the first time. Right. He ever had, yeah, That's know? a good point. Yeah. He loved chocolate ice cream, you know, all these types of things, but Isn't I can tell you that almost, yeah, it's crazy. Right. Cause it, it yeah. just had such a profound effect, you yeah. know? So I, I remember we, I was at a lake cabin with a couple of guys in uh, Minnesota 
and we were drinking Bush Light Pounders, you know, the big tall 16-ounce cans and whiskey. And I remember when I got enough in me to achieve that effect, I remember thinking to myself, wow, this, I like this. This is good, you know. And, and I proceeded to develop that phenomenon of craving right off the bat, you know. I had never drank before, and it was like that first time I couldn't get drunk enough. I mean, I was doing shots of tequila. I mean, I just my, instantly the physical part just took over right off the bat. Um, I blacked out, had probably the worst hangover I ever had, but I loved that effect. You know, I'm more of a binge drinker. You know, I, I did that for the next five years. You know, I'm not a guy that could drink every day. Um, I was always like, get really hammered, off and running, maybe sober for a couple of days, back on it. But once I flipped that switch, you know, I was gone, you know. Um, and I never meant to do it, you know. I was, it was never like, I'm going to go out and get drunk. It was like, let's go have a couple beers. And it just, it was like that certain point, you know. Um, so I did that for, from age 17 to 22. Now I mentioned before that I was around AA, so I knew a little bit about it and I don't really know what happened. Like I'm one of those people that, you know, I didn't have any real external consequences. You know, I didn't get in trouble. You know, I never went to, you know, I, I mean, I drove drunk a lot. I got lucky. I was in a smaller town, like 50,000 people. So, you know, it wasn't like I was getting on freeways going 70 miles an hour. So, but I would say the last couple of times, well, maybe the last, few months I was drinking. I knew there was something off. I just knew it. I'm like, I didn't drink like other people. Um, and I think that's probably what alcoholics tend to drink with other alcoholics is who the heck wants to be around some guy that's, you know, going home at nine after three, you know, I, I didn't relate to guys like that, but maybe the second to last time I drank, I had, I had promised myself I was going to try not to drive anymore. Um, and I ended up driving in a blackout and it was just kind of a combination of that. And I just thought, you know what, I, I need to take a look at this. There's a problem here. And I, I think it also helped that I was around some AA members. My dad was an AA member. Um, I would go, he had a little store in my hometown and I'd go by and see him and there'd be these guys and they're hanging out and I knew they weren't drinkers, you know, and they were kind of smiling and they had this little gleam and they go, Oh, you know, how you doing Chad? And you know, that kind of that thing, you know, when you're still drinking, you're like, eh, you know, that guy, you know, but I respected it. And I don't know. I just said, you know what? I probably need to go. There was this Tuesday night meeting that I knew about. I'm like, I probably should go to that meeting. I'm like, I, I'm drinking way too much. And I don't, I don't have an answer to why that is. Um, Surrender is a funny thing. You know, I just, something clicked for me. I can't explain it. And like from the moment I made that decision that I needed to be at that meeting, it, it was removed from me. Like I didn't really think about it after that, you know? And I don't know if that was a combination of that. I was still pretty young and I hadn't drank like for 20 years, but it wasn't that big a deal for me. You know, I, I went in, I need to be here. I accepted it. That particular meeting I've come to find out now was pretty unique. And, you know, I've been to a lot of meetings since. Um, they kept it very simple. You know, the format, and it's still the same today. The format was what we used to be like, what happened, what we like now. There wasn't a topic. They would just call on members of the group that would come up and share. Um, and their whole idea was that it wasn't about, it was more about they would do that so that with the new guy would come in and hopefully, you know, relate. And then they could say, man, I'm struggling too what did you guys do? And hopefully bring them along the path. Um, it wasn't about necessarily that the new person needed to share and get stuff off their chest. It was, Hey, they're struggling. Here's what we do. So they basically just said, get a home group that meets at the same time and place and be at that meeting every week, get a sponsor and use that sponsor and don't drink. And as far as the sponsorship thing, I mean, they weren't like this diehard, you know, you better call your sponsor every five minutes. I mean, there'd be jokes once in a while, you know, did you ask your sponsor about that? But it wasn't like a real, just hardcore. Um, 
And then as far as like God and stuff, I mean, people would talk about God and mention God and prayer and stuff. But I, up at that point, I never really had a big thing about God. I wasn't anti-God, but I was just kind of like, I, I kind of instinctively, I guess my thought on God, if there was a God, was he didn't know the difference between me and a tree. You know, it's just kind of this this thing, right? And it's just kind of there. And so I never was like, well, he's judging me, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I went to this meeting um, for seven years or six years, I apologize. And I was there every week, you know, and, and I didn't, I never heard about 90 and 90 and some of these other things. Like I didn't even know what they were. I just knew that, okay, I made a decision. I probably shouldn't drink anymore. And I just accepted it. And I was there and I helped. I sponsored guys. I went through the steps and those were good tools, I guess. You know, I didn't, there was nothing against, I wasn't against any of that type of stuff. I guess fast forward a little bit, about five, six years in, uh, my wife and I decided that, uh, you know, just from a career standpoint and our future standpoint, um, she, her sister was down uh, here in Phoenix and we thought, you know, maybe it'd be good to move it on down, better opportunities down. Um, so we packed it on up and rolled down here to Phoenix. Um, so I came down here with a head full of AA and thought, okay, I'm going to find a group and I'm going to get going. And, and, uh, you know, things were good. Things were okay for a little while. Um, but for the next seven years, like I just never, I never got comfortable in a meeting. You know, it's kind of like I heard somebody in A say one time that alcoholics are a lot like baby ducks, right? Like, have you ever heard that before? Like the no, first, the, the first meeting, that. yeah, like the first meetings you go to, that's, it's like a baby duck. The first thing it sees, it thinks it's his mom, right? Oh, the first meetings you go to, right. those are the ones you sort of gravitate towards. Yeah. And so for me, I never got real comfortable. I came down to Phoenix and it was just different, you know, more topic type, um, just the way they did things. And, and I was okay with some of that. Um, I would go to a home group for a while. I joined it. I was there and then I'd leave again and I I jumped around to probably three or four different home groups. But I was, again, I was always at meetings, you know, I was always there, but I'd say somewhere along my, my, probably my, my sixth year or so, I, I really started to develop a different way of looking at God or, or it's probably starting to lean more towards atheist type views. Um, Cause I just, I would sit in a meeting and I would hear a guy say like, you know, God gave me this job today because I prayed or just some of the wording. And I get it. Like everybody's, everybody's different, but I had a sponsor that was really into God and he would tell me I should be praying every day. I should be doing these types of things. And it just, and I don't know what happened. It just really was bothering me. And I was, I was getting very uncomfortable with that type of thinking in AA. And, um, my 13th year, um, the last couple of months of that year, uh, would have been 2011. I, I probably went about a month without going to a meeting and I hadn't done that in 13 years. And I just, I wasn't feeling the meetings anymore. And my sponsor called me up, said, what's the deal? Aren't you going to AA anymore? I'm like, well, maybe, maybe AA isn't for every alcoholic. Maybe there's something else, you know, maybe, maybe I just, I know I can't drink, but maybe if I do some other things, it's like, well, that, you know, that's not going to work, whatever. And, um, I picked up my 13 year medallion at a meeting and I was just real honest. I said, I don't really want to be here. I hope that changes. You know, I think I went to one more meeting. And then I picked up March of 2012. Now, I'm not here to blame AA or meetings or say that's the reason I drank. I think it was also, I got this thought in my head that I'm just a high-strung person. And maybe if I could just relax once in a while, you know. And I came into AA at 22 and I was pretty young. Maybe I wasn't even an alcoholic. Maybe I was just a binge drinker or whatever. And uh, I picked up and, um, you know, it, another five, I went five more years of drinking. And um, in the beginning, hey, it wasn't. I mean, I was drinking, I was, I still was going to work. I was still, you know, all my external things seemed okay. You know, I maintained my job. I was, and so I'd go have some beers with the guys once in a while. I felt kind of like back in the saddle, like, you know, but 
that one thing. And that to me, that for me, the most important thing of this is abstinence for me now, because that physical part for me was just once I start drinking, I just, again, it's for me, it's probably about the three or four drink mark somewhere in there. I just, I, I can't, I can't go. And I'm most of the time I black out most of the time, you know, um, cause I just go so hard and fast, you know? And, and so I did that for five years. Um, and every now and then, you know, I'd have a bad night and I think I'd go to a meeting, like maybe three or four years in, I think I went to a few meetings and I was like, ah, you know, and then I would go back. The last time I drank, I actually had drank, my kids were actually out of town. It was just me and my wife. And I had drank like three or four days in a row, pretty heavily, like binge drinking. I had never done that up to that point. And I and ended up ended up having some physical withdrawals and I got really sick. And I mean, just like shaky. I, I went into the urgent care and um, the doctor diagnosed me. He called it holiday heart. He said when, you know, sometimes when people over the holidays, they're drinking too much. They, when they come out of it. So, but I think that this time around having 13 years of a in my head along with the drinking, I just said to myself, like I, I, it was just open wide enough for me to surrender again and say, this just, this just can't, I I gotta, I gotta look at this again. So I ended up uh, calling that, that sponsor back up. He uh, met me at a meeting and, uh, and I started going to meetings again and it wasn't easy. I mean, I had some of the highest anxiety I'd ever had in my life. I mean, I look at it now and, I'm kind of a science buff and I do a lot of reading about this type of thing. And I think my chemicals in my brain were re- trying to reset themselves or used to this thing in their system every couple of days. And it wasn't there anymore. And uh, I would go to meetings, but you know, I'd probably say six months in, I just, I'm like, I, I'm having such a hard time with this God thing. And I, I, I don't, I, and I can't sit in these meetings and, and, and even like with the steps, I'm like, you know, I was just, I was having a really hard time with that. So I don't know what happened, but I, uh, I went on my computer one day and I, I just typed in like atheist AA. I don't remember exactly how I did it. And it, this thing popped up, secular meetings. I'm like, hmm, what's this? I'd never heard of that. And uh, so this is probably going on a little over two years ago. This this was, uh, so, I, so I got sober July 2017 this last time around. But uh, I'm like, I wonder what these are. So there was, a, so I found one that was uh, in the Tempe, Arizona, real close to me. And I ended up going over there. And I walked in and the format was, hey, you know, we don't, there was nothing in there about God. There was no prayer. There was anything. It was, it was just pretty much a regular A meeting. It was just cool to know that there were other people that were, that were struggling with this, you know, and that there is a way to get sober without God or, or, you know, even like the steps sometimes I'm not, you know, I mean, to me, the steps are very simple. They mean what they say. And I think they're good tools, but this thing of this driven into you, here's what you need to do, you know, all the time. Um, and so I, I go, I went to these secular meetings and the, the ones that I went to, um, I would have to say were pretty much just like a traditional AA meeting, but re- removing the God stuff, you know, um, I found them the, the you know, the, the jargon was the same. Right, Some of those right. things were the yeah. same, you know, and, yeah. and which was fine. I mean, you know, my, what had always drawn to me to AA in the first place from the beginning when I first came in in 1998 was, um, one of the old timers there, you always used to say, when you go and hear another alcoholic share. It was kind of like a bedtime story, right? It just kind of comforted you because to me, in my opinion, what Bill and Bob found more than anything was that ability to relate to one another, to sit down with another alcoholic and be honest. Here's what's going on in my life, you know? And I know obviously all the other stuff, steps, God, and all those things came out of that stuff. But to me, just that act of like what you and I are just talking right now, just 
relating and, and for me to, well, I remember those first few meetings, just listening to someone. Um, so I, I like that. Um, so, but I, one thing I did have to get over and, and this is something I see sometimes in this agnostic, like uh, secular movement. And I try not to be this way is this sort of, and even, um, playing down traditional meetings, like get like kind of be negative about them or, you know, why, you know, whatever. I don't want to be that way anymore. Like I have no problem going into a, a regular traditional meeting now and just sitting and listening and sharing. I do sometimes mention I'm an atheist because, and the only reason I do that is because I feel like, you know, in 2011, if somebody had said that in a meeting when I was struggling with that, I might've stuck around. I don't know. I maybe wouldn't have. I, I can't say that for sure, but I don't, I don't, when I do share in a meeting and I do mention that I don't go off on tangents and try to prove anything or, you know, get into it with anybody. It's just, this is me. Right. Um, I don't get so caught up anymore of in the, uh, in the, in the wording, you know, if somebody says God or whatever, and I'm sure you've heard this before and it is, you know, the good orderly direction thing or, or sometimes I just say, we're using words to describe things in different ways. That's right. Somebody says God, same experience describing it differently. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I'm looking at it as like, my whole thing is like, I, my higher power or whatever I, the way I live is I try to be a part of the ever changing flow of the universe. That's it. And, and I just, the universe is going to do what it's going to do. And I'm just trying to be a part of it. You know, um, when you were describing that group as using the jargon and so forth, it, in my mind, it, it clicked with me. Okay. Those people were going to traditional AA probably for a long time and then started going to the secular group. Because see, my group here in KC, the majority of the people have never been to traditional AA. So you don't hear that. You don't hear, you don't have that tradition of that jargon. And you also don't have people who can compare their secular experience to the traditional experience. Now, there are some like me who have had that background, but the majority haven't. And what's so cool about that is with the, with the majority of people not having that background, that subject just never comes up. You know, it's just kind of, I, I, I like that. Yeah. So that, that tells me that cause every group is a little bit different and, and groups go through um, changes too. Like when we first started our group, we were AA people, we had that experience and there was some AA bashing going on, especially during our growing process when we had people from another group discovered us. And I mean, I swear to God, like for like three months, almost every meeting was bashing the group they came from. The right. That right. Was. Yeah. So no, but, I get that. But it and, changed and, over time that to where that's not happening. And, you know, so that's kind of cool. But yeah, that when you said that, the, the, the jargon, it told me what type that the group, and I know some of the people from Arizona, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some good, and I've definitely met some people here and it's been good. Um, um, but the thing is, is it's like, kind of like, actually your, your point about that actually brings me back a little bit to my very first meeting because my first meeting I went to, you know, like I said, I'd never heard some of those things of like 90 and 90 and, and some, I never even, when I first moved to, to Phoenix, I heard that for the first time. I think I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what 90, 90 is. And where did you come from, from Phoenix? Uh, North Dakota, okay. North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah. So there was a, there was a meeting, um, and in, in Moorhead, Minnesota, it was called the Thursday night Moorhead. Um, there was a gentleman there. He's, he's long since passed his name, but Don Nicholson. And, and to me, you know, we always have those one or two guys that stand out to us, you know? And he was, he was one of those guys that he just, he put things very simply. Um, he had, you know, and he had a number of years sober. In fact, he had, I guess he had knew Bill Wilson a little bit. Um, and so he was just one of those guys. And so that meeting, so my hometown was an offshoot of that group. And, and there, again, their whole idea was just keep things simple. And it's about the newcomer. It's not about, 
Like we didn't even give out, we didn't even give out medallions. Like when I was there, we'd recognize sobriety, but it, we, we would always say that the reason we're recognizing sobriety is so that that new person can see that it's a way to do it. You know, we didn't make it about us. So, and I'm not against any of that stuff, but again, it's back to um, kind of what you're saying with the secular meetings that you, you bring in these new people. Now they don't know about that other stuff. They don't know about, you know, whatever yeah. meeting makers make it or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, and my main goal, like when I reached out to you was like, I just, my goal today now is just, I just trying to be helpful. You know, um, I'm just, I just want to, you know, if, if, if somebody can relate to, you know, what I've gone through, I mean, I got to tell you one thing with somebody who, you know, had 13 years of pretty active, good AA. I mean, I could quote that big book verbatim, you know, I, I know, you know, to go back out with and drink for five years and now have that experience. I tell people all the time, like my dad and I talk pretty regularly. He's still an active member of AA and he's over 40 some years sober. And I tell him all the time that now that I've, I hopefully come out of that and I I don't want to go back to that. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I had to go through that because it changed a lot of perception. Like for me, um, it's all about changing my perception. You know, one of my AA, I guess, heroes, for lack of a better word, was Chuck Chamberlain, Chuck C., and new pair of glasses guy. And he, he talked a lot about God and stuff, but but he always talked about it's uncovering, discovering, and discarding. You know, discovering, get rid of those old ideas. And that's what I try to do today is to, to be open and remain teachable. And that would be my only thing, like with meetings today, when I do go to meetings, I think I try to look at it for, as a perspective from a newcomer. And I think sometimes traditional AA meetings, in my opinion, they get so caught up in doing things a certain way that I think they forget, you know, guys get 20 years sober, 30 years sober. This is how we've always done it. You know, um, there's an old story one time that I heard it. One of my old managers in business told me, he said there was a, uh, there was a, a mom on Easter Sunday and she was cooking a ham. And before she put the ham in the oven, she cut the ends of the ham off and her daughter asked her mom, why are you doing that? She's like, you know, I don't even know why. Why don't you go ask grandma? She always did that. She's in the living room. Go out, ask your grandma. Grandma, why did you cut the ends of the ham off? Grandma said, you know, my mom always used to do that. Well, it turned out, you could probably guess that once upon a time, the stoves were a lot smaller. Yeah, they had to cut there the ends of the ham off to get them in the funny? stove. Yeah, and so I look at meetings sometimes, and, you know, some of the things we do in meetings, I think, why are we still doing this? Like, I, you know, my... I, one of the bigger things that I have a hard time with when I would go to the meetings here and they're not all that way. I'm not, again, I'm not here to meeting bash or anything, but if I'm, if I'm somebody who's struggling with drinking, I'm having a hard time. I'm like, you know, I have a job. I seem to be able to function, whatever, but God, I just, when I drink, I can't seem to stop. Let me go check out this AA thing. Let me go. Well, it's at this church. Okay. Well, it's a right away church. Okay. All right. I'll pull in the parking lot. Meeting starts at eight. I don't want to go in too early. All right. I'll come in. Maybe I'll come in at eight Oh one. I'll sit down in the back and I'll start listening. And then what's the, the meetings here? I don't know how about where you're from, but the one of the first thing, anybody new here tonight, you know, and, and I just feel like it took everything in that power for that guy to get in that door, you know, and our whole thing was that my, my first home group was if I'm at that meeting every single week, if I see a new face come in, whether that, whether or not that person has three days or three years, I should go over and introduce myself. And if they're new, I'm going to find out in a second. You know, I don't have to like reach, you know, I, something small like that, but but that's kind of my, my, my thing when I start to have some issues with a, it's just, um, um, speaking of that, we, we made a change in our group and, and, and this part of the Midwest, 
what's traditional for people for AA groups to do when they have a newcomer at the meeting, they give them what's called a first step meeting. So basically, yeah. So you go around the room and everybody tells their stories. And usually those are very long meetings because people don't know how. So, but it puts that new guy on the spot, you know, because all the attention is, is on that new person, you know, and he's, they're already uncomfortable, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, so our group decided, you know, we're going to dispense with that. And, uh, and we have, and it's worked out really well. We just decided instead that we just want to make people feel comfortable there. That's all. Well, it's hard enough just to get them there. Yeah. You know, and, Once they're and there, most, make them feel you know, comfortable, give them a cup of coffee, say hello, you know, make, make them part of the, the group. Well, and I think that, and I, and I, I don't know if this comes out of treatment or any or whatever, but, but this idea that you go to a meeting to share and get things off your chest and that that's what makes you feel better. Like in my opinion, that's not what it is at all. I mean, that's maybe good at some point if you have a sponsor or whatever, or a good friend to get some things off your chest. But the meeting itself, in my opinion, is to go there, relate. And then if, if you decide, Hey, what you guys are talking about, I want to try to do too. How did you guys do it? You know, and, and, and surrender is a funny thing. I mean, it, it's not just something you just, Hey, you know, it, 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 you know, there's no surrender gauge. I heard a speaker say one time, there's nothing at the door that when you walk in that says, okay, I'm this much surrendered, you know, it's, it's time. It takes, you know, it, it there's no way of like knowing what it's going to take for someone to surrender. Everybody's different, you know? And, and to back to your point about making somebody feel comfortable, if, if you can just get that guy coming to the meeting every week, maybe he doesn't share, maybe he just comes and listens or the gal or whoever. And pretty soon one day after the meeting, they might come up to you and go, yeah, you know, I really like what you had to say there. And, you know, what did you guys do there? Like, you know, and, and, that, and it's just kind of, kind of can, can work out that way. I think so. Yeah, I think so know? too. Just let, just let things just kind of happen naturally over time. People become, they feel comfortable in the group. They make friends. That's what I see happening. They make friends and they, they might get a sponsor. They might work steps and uh, all without having pressure being put on them to get a sponsor or pressure being put on them to get the steps. Um, you also mentioned something about language. And I, I learned that after I discovered the whole, um, you know, agnostic AA meetings, I, uh, I never really stopped to think about the, the language that we use because I, I, I'm like you, I came in young, I was going to, um, AA meetings, uh, for 25 years. I went to the same group. And it was a group that was really entrenched in the big book and they weren't bad guys or anything at all, but they were very much doing things the way that they've always been done. And I, you know, um, I was just, th that was just all I knew That's the only language I knew was the language of the big book. And the <laughs> so, um, when I, when I, um, realized I was an atheist and I was trying to figure out what to do about AA, I, you know, went online and I, and I, um, connected with other people who were non-believers. And that's when I learned that, Oh, it is, it is language. It's just that, you know, I have a different way of describing my experience, you know? Um, but we basically are going through the same thing and I'm okay. And I am totally okay with that. But early on, I, it seemed to me that, well, for sure, my home group wasn't accepting of my new outlook, and um, I didn't feel comfortable at other groups. But that was probably only because I had that long experience being one way and then, and then abruptly changing. And that was a hard 
that was a hard break for me. It was really hard to assimilate, I guess, or to somehow balance that with the, with the old group. So I don't, I don't really go to traditional meetings or regular meetings anymore. Although during this pandemic, I've been to a couple, which I really enjoyed. I went to one, a St. Louis speaker, a speaker meeting that was a bunch of people in St. Louis. I really liked that. And, uh, I went to uh, a meeting of, um, it was called oldie Paw, which is really interesting. They were former young people in AA who are now old. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Oldie Paw. Good. Oldie Paw. I like yeah. That. that was kind of cool. So there's a bunch of people like me, basically. They came in in their 20s and now they're in their 50s or, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, how? Yeah. Well, and see, and, and, and it's interesting you bring that up because that, that to me, like, um, I've gone to a few younger people meetings that I would, I went to before. Um, and, you know, there's this whole group of guys that are like, I'm in my forties. Right. And, 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 you know, when the guys came around, there's a whole group of guys that I know that are in their forties and, and they've been sober 20 some years, whatever. And I think sometimes, you know, they forget <laughs> like, like when I was out there drinking for five years with this head full of AA, I, you know, cause, and I was very guilty of doing this sometimes, you know, I'm 10, 11, 12 years sober, you know, I'm in my thirties, you get kind of arrogant sometimes, you know, you, 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 you think to yourself, a guy comes in and he's struggling and he's, you know, a couple days sober. And I'd kind of be like, wow, just go to meetings. You know, what are you doing? You know, whatever, you know? And it's just like, I, it completely changed my viewpoint of that after drinking for five years. I don't Now I see somebody coming in and they're struggling. I'm a little more like, no, I understand that, you know? And, and so it, it's, it's a funny dynamic that, um, you know, with the, with the younger people, like I said, coming in younger and having that and having that. And then there's that, then there's another group above that, like, um, that of guys that I know. And I was, this made me, this had me thinking about what you were talking about with your home group is when you started to have those, I think those other viewpoints, you know, that's, that's threatening to them, you know, because when you believe a certain way and all of a sudden, Hey, I've based my whole life on this way of thinking. And now you're saying, no, 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 that's threatening, you know, and that, that can be, um, and I had to frustrate like, you know, some of them too, who knew, who knew me for decades being one John. And then all of a sudden this new character comes by to talking about, Oh, I don't need God. Actually, really, I don't. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm going to guess your experience was similar to mine. It, once you've sort of accepted that belief and that way of life, it was a freeing thing. Yes. I was very happy. Very happy I felt like it. I was being me, yep, you know? Yep. Yep. I felt very fake sometimes when I'd be sitting in meetings those last couple of years and be like, God, I just don't think this way. I don't believe in this, but I better because, you know, otherwise who knows, you know, right. there's right. something freeing about that. Now, I sure. remember when I first started having those thoughts and I was reading um, books like um, uh, God is not great by Christopher Hitchens and uh, Richard uh, Dawkins book. Oh, well, all those books. And, you know, I was afraid to let anybody know I was reading those books. I wouldn't tell anybody. Oh, what are you reading? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't no, 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 <laughs> no. And I, and people in my life, you know, I, I've mentioned that I think that way. And, and it's, it's, it's always funny. Like the ones, it, 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 it is interesting to me who reacts and who doesn't, you know, and you find out real quick where you stand with some people. And, and now I'm, I'm the kind of person today too, though, where I don't just go out and when I immediately meet someone, lay out everything in my beliefs right in front of them. You know, I kind of feel them out. You kind of see where people are and, and, and there's just still, and it's getting better, I think, but there's this attitude towards, you know, atheism or for sure, you know, those beliefs and, and I hope it keeps continuing to go. It seems yeah. like it is, you know, people again, can I'm be shocked anti- too. People can be shocked. Like, um, and I was, I, I experienced some of the shock, like, okay. The first time I heard somebody in AA 
dismiss the stats openly. I, I, what the hell? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I get it now. I mean, I, I'm very, I, I, I do like the steps. They're important to me. They're part of who I am and how I operate, but I'm much more, I'm not so rigid about them. And I, I understand them mostly as, um, an expression of an experience for, for like first, definitely the first three are just an experience, you know, there, it's not necessarily something that I could manufacture. And then the, the inventory of course is something I do and making amends is something that I do. But, uh, and then there's an experience that comes from that, but so much of the rest of it is just from, from the experience that, that I had. Yeah. That, that's it. Well, and, 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 you know, I was really, I, I look, I look at it now and I, I think I was really fortunate to be around this one particular gentleman that I mentioned this Don, um, early on, because he used to talk about the steps kind of like what you said, they're very simple. You know, they're not, you know, you used to hear, you know, I hear people talk about, Oh God, I've been on this step for like a week. And I'm like, what? I, what do you mean? Like when you can't step one, in my opinion, you can't just sit down and right, do it. it. You can't. It's like you said, it's an experience. Right. You haven't had or not. Yeah, exactly. My, my last, this last time through, I took step one in my shower. I got to a point where I'm like, <laughs> right. I knew I couldn't drink and I knew I could not drink and ah, it freaked me out. Right. You know? and, and so, yeah, so I think they're, they're very simple. Um, I think they're good tools as well. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not anti-step at all. I did. Now you can apply those to different things. Like you can take that exactly. first step. You can, you can use what you learned from the experience and apply it to other problems in your life. You know, like for example, I'm having a problem at work. First step, admit that I have a problem at work, you know, come to think that there's something I can do about the problem and make a decision to do that, you know? And then, I mean, the whole process is stuff. So it's like, you know, it's not that just because step one isn't something that I could actually quote work or do doesn't mean that I couldn't learn from it. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and I think when it comes to the steps and again, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, is it's, I, I look at it as just another tool that I could use to help me along this journey. You know, I think the initial surrender you come and once you fully admit to yourself, okay, abstinence is the only way I can do this. I can't, there's no in between. And then fully concede to my innermost self that I am powerless. I can't drink anymore. I can't do it. And what I, what I feel for me, what you decide to do from there is your deal. You know, I tend to lean more towards some AA stuff because I like hearing that. I like hearing people talk about it. I like the people cause I relate to them more. But, but again, when I don't ever want to, and this is where sometimes I think like you get into this AA exclusivity. I don't know a better way to say it. Like we're, we try to make, we're like this separate entity, like, you know, the normies or whatever. I don't like stuff like that. You know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm just a person just like, just like anybody else. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I happen to have this thing in my brain that when I drink alcohol, I can't seem to stop. But other than that, I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be this separate society. You know what right. I mean? Like, I know I was talking to Angela about that on one of our Friday um, streams that what, when I, when I was first getting in, involved, um, when I was first getting sober, the term that was used was earth people. So in other words, the earth people were the non-alcoholics and it was always, it was always, you know, the, the person would always talk about it, like in some kind of a comical way, how, how strangely unique we are from the rest of the society. Like we're like from outer space or something. And these, these earth people that are walking around, they just can't possibly understand us because no, we are so different. <laughs> yeah. They don't get, they don't get sad or depressed right, or whatever. Right. You know, they don't have anxiety or 
you know, and that was like, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I don't, when I get into my story sometimes too, when I, when I talk, I don't usually get too crazy on like what I was like before I drank. I know that's kind of the thing, you know, what, you know, guys, like, oh, that's what I was like before I drank or whatever. And, and yeah, I will, I will, I will say, yeah, that definitely we, we share a lot of the same characteristics, anxiety, depression, but there's plenty of people out there that have anxiety and depression that are just as bad as us, except the one difference is when they take a drink, it doesn't do anything for them, you know, you know? Um, so I, I try to, I don't get too crazy on that type of stuff. I guess I sort of, for me, I, I stick with that, that physical part. Like I, I abstinence, I have to, yeah. I can't drink and, yeah. and I have to know that in my head you yeah. know, that I can't. Yep. And that, that truly is, I think what, um, people will, re- will relate to the most because everybody feels I mean, everybody has kind of different experiences from their drinking as far as what kind of trouble they get into and so forth. And people have different psychological problems and so forth, um, emotional problems, whatever, different backgrounds and everything. But the one common denominator is what alcohol does to us physically. You know, that um, when I understood that, you know, that that was very comforting for me to know that. I mean, I, I guess I always deep down understood that, but when I really admitted it and was okay with it, I guess, or accepted it and saw that other people had the same experience with alcohol, that, that, that did make a big difference for me. You know? Yeah. And there's always certain keywords or key phrases when somebody's sharing about their drinking that I can go, Oh yeah. 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 Yep. Oh yeah. I relate to that. Yep. And you know, and the feelings too. I mean, definitely, but, um, I just think we have to be careful. And I mean, this has been said, you know, over and over, I've heard many people say this, but, you know, it getting into more how drinking affects us when we're sharing with new people, as opposed to, you know, that guy was in jail, this guy did that, this guy did this, you know, there has to be that, you know, something to get to the meat of something, of how you're feeling, you know? And that's why, again, going back to my very first home group, I just think that that was for me, again, it was my first meeting. And I, I think I'll always feel this way. It's just keeping it very simple of, Hey, this is what we used to be like. Here's what happened. And here's what it's like now. And here's what we did, you know? So and, when, when you guys did that at that meeting, did, did the rest of the group also share after the speaker or was it just like, yeah. So no, no. So what we, what we would typically do the, again, it was, a, it was probably you know, 25, 30 people back in the day. So it was kind of understood. And, and again, this is where I didn't, I'd never been to traditional meet or another type of meeting before. So I thought maybe this is how they all were. The understanding was that, the sort of members of the group that have been maybe coming for a while that maybe were doing some things or whatever, they would be the ones we would pick, pick on to share for that meeting four to five. And then the new people, they would be there and they would be, they would listen and, you know, or whatever. And then maybe after a couple months that they were coming regularly and we felt like, Hey, not that we thought, Oh, they're doing good. We should let them share, but more if they were, and if they wanted to, they would be comfortable. But the whole idea was, the meeting itself wasn't what was keeping them sober. It was the commitment, you know, and the other thing that we did, it was, it was almost like, and this, I look at it now, me looking back on it now, just committing to going to that meeting every week in my mind was my admission of being an alcoholic. You know, you know, it's like, I'm going to this meeting every week because I'm an alcoholic, you know, and we actually even took it a step farther. We, we always met an hour before and had some camaraderie and stuff before, which was, that was really good too. I I enjoyed it. That was so important to me early on. And a little, a little lesson that I learned from this pandemic was when you're talking about how those of us who've been sober for a while can sometimes forget about, you know, what people are actually going through who are just getting sober, man, I did not fully appreciate just how impactful 
this um, social isolation was to newcomers, to people who are like within within their first year of sobriety, how really hard it was on them, you know. Um, and 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 I don't know why I didn't get that because when I think about it, man, I needed these meetings so so bad, you know, that that first year or two especially. And I don't know how I could have re- how I would have reacted, you know, if I couldn't have had the that meeting to go to, and you know, and I would go to. I'd go to a couple meetings sometimes a day because, you know, I, I was, I just, that was the only place I felt comfortable. So I'm sitting here with 30 some years of sobriety and I'm saying, Oh yeah, this is not a big deal. I got zoom. I got this and that, but these poor, these God damn, it's hard on these people. <laughs> oh man. And, and, and when I came back in after the five years, you know, I, I was, I remember sitting in some of those first few meetings and, and just sitting there thinking to myself and I'd hear somebody share, you know, when and there was this particular meeting that I was I went to in the beginning, it was like a clubhouse style meeting, and I, I'd always sort of been down on clubhouse meetings when I was, you know, in the clubhouse, whatever. But this time, completely different viewpoint. I just went in there to listen, you know, and I'd hear somebody that said they had four days, and they would they were struggling, and I just it, that just hit home with me because now I'm like, holy cow, like I get it now, and that relating thing like really helped me, and and so again going back to kind of that thought process of when you're new, when we kind of started the conversation of making somebody feel comfortable, I think that's so important, you know, and, and, um, I just, especially here where I live, I mean, I go to some meetings once in a while and I just, like, when something happens, I'm just like, God, you know, I hope that guy comes back or I hope that gal comes back, you know? Um, but you never know. I mean, maybe, you know, I, I, I can't, I always try to remain open and try to think things happen and the way they go. I, I don't know everything. And, you know, just my biggest thing today is to just try to remain teachable and open. That's, that's what I try to do. You know, um, I spent a lot of years not being open and teachable Yeah. So, and, and in AA as well. Well, making you know. people feel comfortable is probably the most important thing that I can do. I find myself now, um, not, I probably, I probably talk less, um, in meetings now than I did when I was newer and I think it's appropriate because I don't, um, it's been so long ago and there's a lot of people in our meeting in our group now who are within the first few years of their sobriety. And, um, probably some of them weren't even born when I was, when I was drinking. And so I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I feel like I, um, it's really difficult to, for me to kind of reach back to decades ago to this experience and have it relatable to people now. So I just, I, uh, it's not like I'm totally quiet or anything, but, um, I listen more. I'm trying to be supportive. Um, you know, I will share, um, some, some of my story when it's applicable, I guess. But, uh, for the most part, it almost feels silly for me to talk about something that happened 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know definitely. what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and I don't think too, I, 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 you know, as far as like the sharing and meetings and stuff, it's like, I don't think, I mean, I like listening to a good entertaining speaker as much as the next one. You know, I look at it more, I mean, sometimes I'll hear something somebody says and I'll think, oh yeah, you know, but I, I heard a speaker say one time that nobody ever got sober on profundity. You know, it's, it's, it's usually just, you know, like for me, I could say in the beginning, it was going to this meeting every week, getting hooked up with a couple of guys my age and just realizing that I probably shouldn't drink anymore. You know, I did the steps, I had a sponsor, I did that stuff, but it was more just that acceptance of a new behavior in a new way that I had to be, yeah. you know, that's, that's what and for I'm me such too. a <clears throat> meeting yeah. people and I'm, like that. Uh, when I was, when I, my, I went to, um, my very, my first meeting 
was a mixed group and they were super nice. They were very laid back. It was like nobody gave me a hard time about God or the big book or anything. They said, just don't drink, go to meetings, come back. They were so nice to me. But someone suggested I go to this, check out this other group, which was a men's group. And I thought that's kind of weird. But I, I went anyway. And what was good about it was that there were a lot of guys my age in their 20s. So after the meeting, we would run around together and do things. And it wasn't like we were just always talking about AA. We were just having fun. We were just having fun enjoying being together and so forth. And so, but the meeting itself was really kind of rigid about the big book and all this kind of crap. But after the meeting, we just went out and had fun. And I think it was that experience of just hanging out with these guys and having fun and having people in my life that I could kind of relate to and have, you know, that is really what made the difference for me. So the other group, everybody was much older than me. And maybe, and, and so it was good for me in that sense to be around people my age, you know? And yeah, 100%. I, I think I heard somebody say one time is, get, you know, if you're new, get a buddy. You know, a buddy stay sober, you know? I moved in with a guy right away and, and we were great roommates and he ended up being the best man at my wedding. And, and it was weird because, you know, and, and so I guess it goes back to, you know, it's the simple, it's the simple things, right? It's once I've made that decision that I can't drink anymore, I, you know, again, you can do the steps, you can pray, you can do all those types of things. They're good things. They're great tools. But when you, when you just want to constantly just drive it in, like, this is the only way, and this is the way it's got to be. I just think, Sometimes the traditional meetings sort of shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, that's, that's, you know, um, I'm not against any of that stuff right. at all, you know, no, no. but, um, to remain open, I think is the key. Yeah. Gotta, gotta have a little bit of flexibility. Gotta, gotta kind of, especially I think, um, when it comes to people who are coming to AA for the first time and aren't familiar with all of the, um, social aspects of AA, the, the different, the jargon and everything like that is to kind of appreciate where that person's coming from and at least speak their language, you know, to make them feel comfortable and not, not do all the AA jargon on them right up, right up front in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway. Right. I mean, I just being nice, shaking a hand, whatever, how you doing? We're glad yeah. you're here, you know? Well, it's been nice talking to you. I, I'm so glad that we yeah. had this time together to, to share, uh, our stories with each other. And the, the, and to whoever might be listening to this podcast, I, like I say, this is, uh, I feel, I feel really honored to be able to do this. I, it's been since uh, 2015 that I've been podcasting. And prior to that, I, I never thought I would do something like this. And, uh, when we started a beyond belief, I decided I would do a podcast to go along with it. And it's just turned out just to be the best experience of my life and has really, um, talking to people like you and other people from around the world has really um, changed me. Um, every every person I've talked to, they kind of stick their stories stick in my my mind, you know, in a way that I n- would never have experienced before. Well, you get so. to you get to come across all walks of life, you know. And and the thing I think is cool is like what, when we when we started the podcast and you were talking about that gentleman, I forgot his name. John John H. Did yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> And the fact that you even say, oh, I can disagree with them and you guys can have a time. And the funny part was that when I was listening to the podcast, you guys would get along great. Have oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but, it, and that's so refreshing to see, especially in this day and age where you see what's going on in the world that you, you can, I can sit with someone like, and that, that's really great. And, and just on a personal note, I, I, I love the podcast because I drive around all day. So it's like your, your podcast is in my rotation and I listen to it with a few different ones and, and it's cool that, that you're able to do that and, and, and you really do a great job of it. You have different people on and it's cool. So I, that's, 
one of the main reasons I reached out to you. I'm like, God, this, you, the way you, the way when you talk and stuff, you sound a lot like how I think. And the yeah. way I do, yeah. It's pretty cool. So yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. So I'm going to go ahead and play our outgoing music. And that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you for listening. I haven't asked for money for a while, but I do want to remind you that if you would like to contribute to our website and podcast, you can do so. Uh, you can go to paypal.me slash Belief, or just to our website and click on the donate button. We also have a Patreon page that you can go to patreon.com slash Belief. We don't have a lot of patrons, but you know, if you just give a dollar or two a month, it really does help out and adds up for adds up. So it helps out. So if you would like to do that, please do, but don't feel compelled. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Chad, for visiting and participating in the podcast. It was really great talking to you. You too.